Nice traveling, so you asked me to fill in. Well, there we uh, go. So, all yours. Okay, it's also good. <laughs> everyone's welcome to stay after the class for uh, some snow tips. But until then, we're going to do the prasha, if you don't mind. So we're going to do prasha turma. We're starting prasha turma. So the Torah is just coming off. Matan um, Torah and all that included. And now the Torah discusses the Mishkan. The Mishkan was basically the Beit HaMikdash in the Midbar. It wasn't as uh, Kavua, it wasn't as, you know, set in stone as the one that was in Yerushalayim built by Shlomo HaMelech. It was more like a Mishkan, it was like a to-go Beit HaMikdash. They built it and they took it down every time they traveled. But it had the same, uh, you know, same... Holiness, Hashem rested there just like he rested in the Beit HaMikdash. And our parasha starts off, Hashem uh, pleading with Moshe to get the people to donate to this uh, Mishkan that he wanted them to build in the, in the Midbar. So we're going to start, Hashem tells Moshe, Speak to the people, and take a teruma donation from every person, Asheri de Benu Libo, whose uh, heart will want to give, Tikhu Terumati, take a donation. So that she says, the holy teruma, take for me a teruma, li, for me, lishmi, for my name. So it seems like from Rashi that it, whoever had to give it had to give it for the sake of God, for like Lashem Shamaim, for Hashem's name. Next to that, she says, Teruma, Teruma is Lashon of Hafrasha, of something that was set aside, because someone who puts money, someone who gives a donation usually sets it aside before they give it. Now, regarding the first Rashi, Li Lishmi, for me, for my name, so why did, why did uh, Dafka by here, why did, all of a sudden by this uh, mitzvah do you need it to be the Jews have to put like special concentration that to give it for God. So there's a, the Zohar is the first thing I want to bring down tonight. The Zohar says that when they entered the Mizbar, God told Moshe that he wants to uh, rest his presence with the Jews. So Moshe said, okay, how do we do it? So he said, Hashem answered Moshe, he said, Al Yisrael That when I see the you know, the, the, the Ratzon of the people, Ratzon will say is like, uh, that they want me to rest with them, that they, if I see the, the, the want of the people that, that they want the Shekhinah to be with them, then I will come down and rest with them. So the Pasuk is saying, that's what she means, Lilishmi, do it for my name. And the people who are giving the donation should, Hashem's going to only now, it's going to only work and Hashem's going to only come down to the Mishkan if he saw that the people did it uh, for the drive that they wanted God to rest with them. If they were just giving it as like a tax or some sort, then God says, I'm not going to rest with them because I don't see the want of the people. That's how the Zohar says it. There is interesting uh, Baal Shem Tov on this uh, concept, on this Rashi. He says that when it comes to tzedakah, you don't really have to give it l'shem shamayim. You don't have to give it l'shem anything because as long as the Ani is able to buy lunch with it, what do you care who... What does he care who, what the guy gave it for? It doesn't uh, bother him what the guy gave it for. At the end of the day, he has money in his pocket to spend. 
So why all of a sudden we see here, it seems like that giving a donation, a person has to have kavanah. So the Baal Shem Tov learns that if you see, look at the Pasuk, it says, It says, take for me a donation, which Rashi says it has to be Lashem Shamayim. So the giving, according to the Baal Shem Tov, doesn't have to be Lashem Shamayim. But the taking, meaning the people who are in charge of collecting it in, from the Beit HaMikdash, the people in charge of the money of the Beit HaMikdash, in charge of collecting it, the Baal Shem Tov learns they are the people who have to have in mind that this is in honor of God, that we want, we're doing it for God to rest in our midst. But the people who are giving it, there's no need for them because it's tzedakah, and tzedakah has to just be given without any uh, thoughts, which is an interesting Baal Shem Tov. Next that she says, that she says, if you look at the pasuk, it's written. There's, it's written in the first pasuk, once, which is the second teruma. Then the pasuk gimel starts, So it seems like there were three donations going on here. But as she says, that if you break it down, there was three donations. The first one was the hati shekel that they had to give, which was a half a shekel that they had to give for the sockets, the beams, and the pillars of the Mishkan. There was a second donation, another Hatsi shekel, another half a shekel for the kupa, meaning for the general collection of the Beit HaMikdash. They used to have a bucket, three buckets by the Beit HaMikdash where they would put donations, which were used for the communal service uh, offerings of the people. Anytime there was a korban of the tzibur of the people, that money would come from these three boxes that people would donate. So that was the second Hatsi shekel. And the third tirumah, was the ones which Alpha Sukim are going to discuss, which that she says are the 13 things which God asked the people to donate, which is the Hav, Kesef, and Nehoshet, and all the other things the Pasuk is going to list. And that was for the Melechet HaMishkan. That was for the work of the Mishkan, the building of the Mishkan, and for the Big Dekihuna, for the garments of the Kohanim. Next Pasuk. This is the donation you should take from them. Zahav, Vachesef, and Nehoshet. Gold, silver, and copper. So <clears throat> Rashi says, Zahav akesef vachesef unhoshet, kulam bindava chutz men akesef shehu b'shaveh v'hatit ha-shekel. All these, there was no set amount, like the first two which Rashi listed, which was a uh, half a coin. These were, whatever a person wanted to give mashidi bochafet, he was able to give. There was no set amount. Rashi says, besides for for the Kesef, it seems there was a set amount. So, because the Pesukim that said Mahatita Sheka was Kesef. So she says, so where do we find Kesef was also what the, whatever the person wanted. He said, you could have still gave however much silver you wanted. And that was for the Klisharet. It was used for the Klisharet, which is, uh, they say here, made into service implements for use in the Mishkan. Okay, whatever that is, service implements. Uh, that says here, used to, uh, into, such as those used to carry the coals of the Mizbeach and to receive the blood of the sacrifices. Okay, so the extra silver, which the person was able to give uh, without a set amount was used for those certain items. Next pasu. More things that they have to give. Utechelet is, Turquoise, turquoise wool, 
Argaman is purple wool, Tolat Shani is scarlet wool, and Shesh Izim, Shesh is linen, and Izim is goat's hair. That she says, Techelet is a wool dyed with the blood of the Hilazon. Hilazon is a fish, a very rare fish. It was a fish that only came out of the sea once every 70 years. And the blood of this fish, they used to, the, to dye the, the wool. And it was very expensive, obviously, because it was a very rare fish that only came out once every 70 years. Now that she says, interesting, that Utsiv Oyarok, that the color of the blood was green, had a greenish tint, like a, you know, even though we also say that it's usually blue, we usually say the blood of the Hilazon is blue, but this is that she says Yarok, which is uh, green. So I guess there's a color which is a mix uh, that looks like green and blue, but from this she, I would say it's a more a tinge of a green. Then of a blue. When you have blue and yellow together, it mixes, it comes out to be green. And when you have green alone, it's also, it remains green. So Rashi says green. So from Rashi, it seems like it's a green color. But uh, so I don't know where we got blue, unless, yeah, maybe like Mars is saying, it's a, it's a type of mix that, that looks like both. Okay, but regardless, it's a very rare fish to find, and therefore, it was hard for the people to get it. So therefore, Hashem had to ask them to please get it. The argaman is purple wool. Okay, Pishtan. And the Izim is the gold hair. Very good. Next person. The Orot Elim Meodamim, the Orot Tehashim Shitim. That's ram skin dyed red, Tehashim skins, and Shitim wood. That she says that the 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 skins of the rams that were dyed red was after the tanning of the of the of the of the skins. Now the interesting Rashi, he says Atseshitim, which is Shitim wood. Now Rashi's brother, where in the Midbar do they get uh, did they get wood? I guess there's no uh, trees. There's no trees growing in the Midbar. Was it from Yaakov? Yaakov saved the uh... Very the good. Wood. That is what she says. That yeah. she asks, Where in the Midbar did they find these trees? So he brings down a Midrash Tanfumah that says, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu saw in divine inspiration that the Jews were going to go to the Midbar and they would need cedar trees or shitim trees, Arazim, I think it's cedar. And so he commanded the Jews in Egypt he, he planted them in Egypt, and then he commanded them that when they're going to leave, to transport them to, to the Midbar. So that's where they got it from. Very good. Uh, there's Rashi I missed. I'm going to go back. When it says Tehashim, that the Tehashim skins, what exactly is these skins of the Tehashim? So Rashi says that there was a certain animal, it was only there for that period of time in history. And this animal was very special. It had many colors to it. It was a beautiful animal with many colors on the skin of the animal. And that was the Tehashim skin. So Rashi brings down Unkulus, which is on the side, who says Tehashim in Aramaic is Saskona. So Rashi says, what does Saskona mean? It means it's abbreviation for Shesas Begivanim. 
that Givanim is colors and Sas is to be happy, that the, the animal was very proud and happy with the colors that it had. So the Mephashim asked, how does she know that that was what the Unkulus was saying? Maybe he's just giving the Aramaic translation to that word in Aramaic, to the Hebrew, to the Aramaic. As that she now to read into the word seskona that it means sas in the givanim that the animal was very proud in its colors. So, very simply, the chedusha maharil diskin says that being that as she just said that the, this animal was only in the times of the midbar, there was no Aramaic in the times of the midbar. So, how did the unkelus even have a translation to a different language if Hebrew was the only lashona kodesh was the only uh, language? that was going on in the Mizbah. How exactly is there even another language that has this word? So that's how that she knew to, to, that it must be that the, it's not just the translation to a different language, rather to read into that word, and he's giving you a more of a shot, he's giving you an explanation to what that word means. I thought that was interesting. And uh, Anyone else think it's interesting? I heard that that okay. animal... Rhetorical, uh, Okay, it, yeah, well, it's that animal I heard from somebody that it's the unicorn. I'm not sure. <laughs> and it was at the time of Adam Rishon, and then uh, the next time it's at the at the time of the Mishkan. I'm right. not sure. Sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Okay, Pasukla. Shemen Lamaor Besamim, the Shemen Amishav, Elektore Tasamim. Also, what they collected from the people was oil for the light. She says this is Shemen Zach, was pure olive oil, which was hard to get. Or else, why did they have to collect it from the people? Obviously, it was very hard to get this thing, which we know Shemen Zach was like the first drop of many olives and it was very hard to get for the, for the menorah. And Bissamim, the Shemen Amishha, there was also oil for the anointing. For the anointing. What was there to anoint? So that she says, that there was a special oil that anointed all the Kliya Mishkan, all the vessels of the Mishkan, and the Mishkan itself got sprinkled oil on it with the special uh, herbs that smelled very nicely, which was the Samim, spices, which they had to collect. Okay, the Ketoret Samim, which was for the, for the Ketoret, for the incense that they uh, did twice a day. Next, Pasuk, Avnei Shoham, Avnei Miluim, Na'evchod V'lehoshen, the Shoham stones, and the Miluim stones for the Efod and the Hoshen. The ephod was the, let's say, the apron of the Kohen Gadol. And the Hoshin was the breastplate. And all these needed special stones, 12 stones for the breastplate, and certain other stones for the apron. And the people had to give it. Now the Pasuk says, Hashem says, make for me a Mikdash, a, that she says, a Makom Kadosh, a holy place, so I could dwell uh, with, the, with the people. Hashem tells Moshe, in accordance with everything that I showed you, how the Mishkan is supposed to look, how the vessels are supposed to look, and so you should do. So the Rashi says, it doesn't say, which is, it says, which is, seems like it's adding something. So Rashi says, Hashem now is telling Moshe, for future generations also. This is not only for the temporary Mishkan in the Midbar, but the same 
this, all these directives which I told you to, for, to make for the vessels and the Mishkan and all the Kelim, you should also do the same thing for the Beit HaMikdash that Shalom HaMelech is going to build. Now, even though the Beit HaMikdash didn't have the same dimensions as the Kelim of the Mishkan, however, they were made proportional to the implements of the Mishkan. That's how the Mizrahi wants to learn. That they would they were proportionate to the same thing. So that's what Hashem was saying, the Khentasu, La Dorot for future generations. Okay. Beautiful uh, class. Thank you. We're in Parashat Tiruma. So the parasha, of course, discusses the construction of the Mishkan. Last night, uh, you learned about the Mishkan, which was a temporary structure that traveled with the Jewish people in the Midbar. Eventually, the Mishkan would be replaced with a more permanent structure, the Beit HaMikdash, which was in Jerusalem. But so long as the Jewish people sojourned in the desert, they would have this portable structure, which served as a place where they brought korbanot, where the uh, ark was stored, the aron with the luchot, with the tablets. That's a place where God communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu the law. So tonight we're going to learn about the construction of the different vessels that were needed for the Mishkan. So one of the vessels, it says in Pasuk Yud, Perechapeh, Ve'asu aron, so they made the Aron. What is an Aron? So that she says an Aron is literally an ark. It's like a box. <clears throat> a flat box, no legs. It's basically uh, a floor made out of wood, and you have two sides. Uh, four sides, actually. Like a box, and it's open on top. That's the Aron. It was made out of which is a special wood. It's called acacia wood. It's a type of cedar. What was the dimensions of this box? So, it's two and a half ama long. Now, these are measurements that we're not familiar with because an ama is not, uh, it's not using the metric system. It's not using the linear system that we have here in America. An ama is a biblical uh, measurement. For argument's sake, let's say, just say an amah is about two feet. So therefore, amatayim would be two amah, which would be about four feet, but it's amatayim bahetzi. So it's two and a half amah long, amah bahetzi rochbo, by one and a half width, the amah bahetzi komato, and one and a half high, or like we would say, uh, depth. So basically, measurements for the aron, two and a half, one and a half, by one and a half. And the Gemara will tell us that the reason why the Aron has half measurements is because the Aron represents the Torah scholar. Because the Torah scholar studies the contents that are in the Aron. And the Torah scholar needs to have humility. And therefore, he is not a full measure. The measurements are all in half, broken measures to represent the humility that a Torah scholar has to have. He's never complete. The Aron has to be plated with pure gold. 
on the inside and on the outside. Now, without Rashi, it sounds like you just have one box and you plated it gold on the inside and gold on the outside. But then Rashi comes and tells us that there was actually three Aronot. And this is like the, uh, the puzzles that the kids have. There's three Aronot that Bitzalel made. Bitzalel was the constructor of the Mishkan. Two of them were made out of gold, and one of them was made out of etz, out of wood. So the goal over here is, it's like a Rubik's Cube, the goal over here is to get the wooden box and plate it on the inside and on the outside with the golden boxes. So how do you do that? You take the wooden box and you drop it in a gold box. So now the wood that's on the outside is being covered by gold on the outside. And then you take another gold box and you drop it inside the wooden box. So now the inner walls of the wooden box are being plated as well with gold. So that's what it means that you will take a wooden box and plate it with gold on the inside on the outside. It means you take the wooden box and place it in a gold box and you take a gold box and place it in the wooden box therefore the wood box is surrounded both on both sides by gold. At least that's the way Rashi comes and tells us. Furthermore, I wish we had pictures. Anybody have pictures of these uh, these things? Oh, you have a picture in the back? Maybe we'll show it to our Zoom members. Oh, there you go. Uh, show and tell. Now, on top of the Aron, you made what's called a Zer. Anybody know what a Zer is? Very good. A crown. So therefore, it has like a crown. Let me see the pictures of it. Let's see. Okay. What are we showing our members over here? Yeah. All right. I mean, uh, I mean, it's a good picture. I'm not saying no. See over here. All right, I think that wow, those hamburger buns. What does this say? <laughs> what does that represent? Okay, what that is. Okay, we're going to keep the picture because you're going to need it for the, for the next for the next time. Now, as we learned, the Mishkan was a transient uh, structure, so you have to carry it. So all the major furnishings have to have built in a certain way to transport it. Now, if you just have a box, how do you transport a box? You got to have a weight, you got to have a handle to it. Right. So there you go. So the, there you go. So the next person comes along and says, And you should cast onto the Aron four tabaot made out of gold. Now, tabaot literally means rings. Al arba on the four sides. So now you'll see the picture over here. I don't know if our members can actually see it. This is the Aron over here. So you see the box, the gold. And you see there's two rings on each side of the Aron. You see there's two rings on both sides. And what do you see inside these rings? See closer. Poles. 
That's called the Badim. That's the, uh, that's mm-hmm. that. So therefore, Torah comes along and says, Ve'asita bade aseshitim. You make these poles out of acacia wood. Ve'sipita otamzav, they're also gold. Ve'vita eta batim batabaot, and place the badim, the poles in the tabaot, in the rings. Al-tzalot aron, the sides of the aron. La'set eta aron bahim. So the Torah is telling you that primarily the purpose of the badim is for transportation purposes. Laset ta'aron bahim. V'tabbe'ot ta'aron yuwa badim. Again it says, in the rings of the aron will be the badim. Lo yasudu mimenu. Oh, now we have a hadush. The Torah says you can never remove the badim. They must remain. Now, Rashi, you just told us that the purpose of the badim is for transportation purposes. So seemingly, once I arrive, I should be able to take them out. And then when I'm about to travel again, stick them back in. So it must be there's another reason why these badim must remain in. So the Sipra Hainuch will say that there must be something in this structure, mystically, that they want it to look like the way it looks. And he says, not for me to explain the mystics of it, but must be there's a reason why it has to sit. Now, if you wanted to explain it uh, on a more simple level, I saw the book spring down beautifully, that the badim represent the supporters of Torah. Because after all, it's the badim that support the Aron. The Aron represents the learners. So we have the Aron, which is the learners, and those that support it, which is the Badim. We're told in the holy books, and we learned this in our class early on, that after 120, the supporters of the learners will be together in Gan Eden in the same, in the same section because they facilitated the rabbis to learn. And I also explained to you, if you remember, that you're going to ask me, well, that's a punishment for them because they're not going to understand one thing that's going on. So we learned from Rav Chaim and he explained that you'll also get an upgrade in knowledge so you'll be able to compete in that level that you're on. And we told the story from Rav Chaim Balazhin, if you remember, that there was one fellow that supported Balazhin Yeshiva and he passed away the supporter. And that night, Rav Chaim Belazhin was learning a Mishnah and he was having a difficulty understanding the Mishnah. And the businessman that supported the yeshiva came to Rav Chaim in a dream and explained him the Mishnah. And Rav Chaim Belazhin said, I knew it to be true, but I didn't know it happened so fast. Because he knew that the person would be upgraded, but now already he's explaining the Mishnah to Rav Chaim Belazhin. So you see where the Balabai becomes a scholar. So the supporter and the learner become inseparable. So that's represented in the Badin never separating from the Aron. That the supporters and the learners are they're together forever. You, you, you can't put them away. They go to a different spot. That would be a, 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 a reason I'll be uh, In any event, the Pasuk says, Okay, now what do you place in the Aron? Okay, you place in the Aron the Edut, 
What is the edut? Literally mean the testimony. What's the testimony? So she says, she says, a Torah. What's the why is the Torah called a testimony? Because it's a testimony between the covenant, like we learned tonight, between God and the Jewish people that I command you to the mitzvot. Fine. Now, there's only one problem. The top of the Aron is opened. Because that's how you got the, the tablets in there. So they got to close it. So the Torah says, A kaporet is a covering. A lid, we would call it. To cover the Aron, made out of gold. The same measurements of the Aron. It's two and a half by one and a half. So God wanted to fit. Okay. On top of the kaporet, you have what's called the, very good, the cherubs. Uh, what was the cherubs? As she says, they had the image of a face, of a tinok, of a child. Miksha. Now, what does miksha mean? Big jet, what, is, what does hammered out mean? One piece. Exactly. Which means it wasn't formed out of, made out of components, which is the easy way of making it. You know, you make the base and you make the head and you, you, you meld it together and you have, no. You take a solid piece of gold and you got to bang it out of the piece where it just comes from itself. And she says, You don't attach them component-wise. Which means, when you make the kaporet, put a lot of gold on the kaporet initially, and then from the kaporet itself, you'll build it up. You understand? You're not attaching it to the kaporet. It's built from the kaporet. So the, the, the lid, let's say, had a lot of gold on top. I guess you bang that gold out and all of a sudden it formed a couple. So it was one piece. That's called miksha. That's the way it was done. Then she says, like you said, take the hammer, hammer it out, bang it out. Um, and then all of a sudden it starts to, starts to take form. Very good. Now, the kapor, I should remind you, did not go into the Aron, it rested on top, on the rim. And that she says its thickness, which doesn't tell us the thickness of it, but the thickness was a teftah, which is about three inches thick. So it's two and a half by one and a half, but an inch or three inch thickness. And the, what is that, honey? The cover. The lid. The lid that covered the... You can take it off, it's removable. Yeah. Yeah, they had to have a rule because when you want to take out the Aron, you want to take out the Sefer Torah, that should have been a road. You can see they put other stuff in there also. Uh, you have the, you have the picture of that? Let's get the picture of that for our Zoom members in the back. Picture, ladies and gentlemen, stay, stay tuned. We're going to show you a picture. Yeah. It's a very, very nice job they did over the art school. Oh, here. Wow, look at this. Wow, Virginia. Oh, this is a better. Wow, look at this one. Okay, wow. One second. Now you're going to see everything. This is the picture we need. So first you see the Aron 
Is this valuable time members or nobody can see anything anyway? <laughs> we see everything. Okay, good. Yes. I know, I know you hear everything, but let's see if you can see it. Okay, let me go over there. That's Morris Shrimp. Okay, I'll okay. second. Just want to go to the clip for a second. So here is the three boxes that we talked about. The outer gold box, the middle wood box, and the inner gold box. So we said the gold box goes into the wood, and the wood goes into the gold. So basically the wood is surrounded by gold on all sides. Now, on top, you had over here the rim. This is the rim over here, which is the zed, which is like the crown. That's the rim that went on top. And then on top of that, you put the kaporet, which is the covering, and fit right on top. And these cherubs, which you see over here, were hammered from the cover itself. And then it went right on top. And then you had your finished piece. And then you have, of course, the two rings on the side. And then you have the uh, Badim. So that's, uh, you have Badim, you have Aron, you have Kiruvim, and you have Kaporet. Two and a half by one and a half by one. Okay, finally we understand exactly uh, a little about the, uh, about the Mishkan. Now let's go back for a second. Okay, good, perfect. Now the Pasuk says, so the kiruvim were on the sides of the kaporet, the ends. From the kaporet itself, it should be hammered. Which means don't make the mistake that she says that you need two cherubs on each side. It's one cherub on one side and one cherub on the other side, and they are uh, facing each other. Exactly. Now, they also have wings, which is the next pasuk. They have wings that are spread, hovering above. And they're facing each other. So you want to see that. If you look at the picture again, you'll see the wings. See that one more time? They have wings that are being spread, spread around, and they're facing each other. Now, the end of the story over here says that she says that the wing should not be uh, resting. The wing should actually be elevated above by their heads. Now, what was the space between the wings and the kaporet? So that she says, ten tefahim. That was the a gap between the, the under the wing all the way down to the covering. Ten That's what Gemara Sukkah says. Now, Now, we said this already. This is a repeat. And what are you going to put in the Aron? The Edut. Well, we said this already. What's the Edut? The, the tablets, the Luchot. So that she says, I don't know why you're repeating you. We, we told you already in the previous Pasuk, actually we, in Pasuk Ted, Ted 
Tz. You told me you put the edut. Both tablets. It's giving you the order of the placement. That don't cover it first and then take the cover off and put the Torah in it. Once you make the box, put the Torah in it, and after you put the Torah in it, cover it. Here it's not telling you what to put in it more than telling you when to put it. And telling you when to place it, because I would have thought maybe finish the Aron completely, including its cover. Then once the box is complete, maybe take the cover off and then open it and put it the Torah in. No. Put it in as, as is. And that's, the, actually they did it, by the way. When they made the Mishkan, they made it, and then it says, it's very good. That's the way they wanted it to be done. And then it says, oh. And God says, when I want to have meetings with you, Moshe, Noad comes from the word Mo'ed, which would be to convene or to come uh, to come together. So when I'm going to meet you, that's why I'm going to meet you. All meetings that take place with Moshe Rabbeinu, we could say that's his office. That's the office where he meets with God. So v'no'adti, I'm going to meet you, Sham, v'dibarti ittecha, and I'm going to communicate me'ala kaporet. So God's voice emanates mi'ben shne'akirubim. So that's the holiest place. That's the, the Wi-Fi right there. The connection comes from the Shnei Kirubim, the Cherubs. Which is, it shows you that it's from the Torah that the Ruach HaKodesh comes. Only from the place of the Torah. Now, we have a contradiction that she says. In another pasuk, we're going to learn that God actually spoke to Moshe in a place called the Tent of Meeting, which is not this place. So we have a contradiction, which is the, which is outside. So we have a contradiction. Where was the communication? Was it by the cherubs or was it in the tent of meeting? So we have a third pasuk to come and reconcile it. It says that when Moshe Rebbeinu came into Ohel Moed, to the tent, he heard the voice speaking from the Mishkan, from the Kaporet. So Moshe ya nechnas le Mishkan. Which means when Moshe Rabbeinu entered, the voice emanated from the, the, the cherubs, but he heard it in Ohel Moed. Understand which means the voice was not emanating from Ohel Moed. It was heard to Moshe in Ohel Moed. Although the sound itself was coming from where? From the Kirubim. So, so, so there's, there's the answer to the contradiction. Both are true. Where did the voice come from? The Kirubim. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu hear it from? Oh, and Moed. So therefore, they're both, they're both him. Now let's just finish up, Rabotai. Last uh, uh, words. And what is God going to communicate to Moshe Rabbeinu? Et kol asher otcha et All the commandments that you need to know for the Jewish people are going to be communicated from that spot. So that she says, Ve'et. Uh, now, of course, we don't have the Vav in ours, but it's like this Vav. That's the whole Dirash tonight, the Vav. Hare Vav Zuyitra Otefira, Kumar Bebe Mikra. 
So you have the pasuk, et kol asher otcha et It should be read like ve'et. And the function of the kirubim will be that all I need to communicate to you will be through the, so that she says it's like a silent vav. Okay, that's called the vavzu yetera utefela. Let me look at the Rashi over here. V'debarti etecha. See, in our text, we have et kol asher. So it sounds like Rashi is just saying, it's a silent, it's a silent vav. Right, the Seftah Hamim says, Afa pi she'en ketiv ve'et bevav, v'sepet Torah shel Rashi haya katuv bezo. Wow. So here's an unbelievable Hadush here, Rabotai. It's a lucky night. Here we have a discrepancy between the way our Torah was written and the way that she's Torah was written. In our Torah, on this word, uh, et, we do not have a vav. But in that she's text, he clearly had a vav. Because our text, if you look at the pasuk, it says et kol asher. And that she says ve et kol asher. And this is a very important Hadush that... There was no, there was, there, there was different, and there's the six, there was different uh, texts that they had around in the Sifat Torah. Not, not every Sifat was written the same. Here you have a discrepancy. And because she's giving you all Hadush about the Bab. We don't even have this Bab. Okay, that's uh, a Hadush. Just to have everyone right there, just to know. And that's what Takamim says. Afa en ketiv ve'et that's a great trivia question. Which word in Parashat Terumah did Rashi have in his Torah one way? So if, if Rashi would be reading the Torah in our shul, it was there, the mistake. Take the same it's missing a vav. Only problem is when we take out the next one, it's also missing a vav. So then we don't have one word of vav in it. Rashi had a different menhag. Okay, so at least we learned one furnishing. So tomorrow night, stay tuned. Uh, if you can believe it, that it gets even more exciting than tonight. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to do the Shulchan. Now, I just need to make one uh, statement over here. I know Rabbi, some of one of the, uh, the books that says that in early prints, this Rashi does not appear at all. First, I'll let Morris make his comment, then I'll make my, uh, my closing comments. Uh, Morris, please, the floor is yours. Oh, what I was saying is that in other Sefer Torahs, in uh, early prints, the Rashi does not appear at all. There are also, also other variations of Rashi and other prints. See Yosef Halel. This is a different, uh, uh, I guess, Farish. Wait, where are you reading from? I'm reading from the Mitzvah Kumash. Okay, so uh, the Seftah Hamim, which was what I was reading from, he says that she had a different kisai. You're saying that she, some don't even have this in the, uh, in the text. Yes. Okay. Very, very good. Obviously, there's something going on there with this valve. Yeah, 100%. Okay. My, my point is that although to some of the members this might sound a little monotonous that we're reading about the construction of a arc and its dimensions and, and you're coming along and saying to yourself, there's not, there's not a narrative over here. There's no story part. It's just a, it's like reading the blueprints of somebody's house. Well, first of all, you have to know that we're reading about the most holiest vessels and the mere fact that we're reading it connects us to these vessels and all the blessings that these vessels afforded 
are given to us the fact that we're learning it, so it's like we're building it ourselves through our limut. And more importantly, the, nothing greater that heals than the Torah itself. The Torah is the greatest healing. So when we learn about tonight, for example, the building of the Aron, we can add a tefillah that the cholim of Klai Yisrael should have a refuah in the merit of the Aron and its keruvim, where that's where God emanated from his presence, especially that we come together to learn for Hayah Sarabat Simha, amongst all the others that need refuah. We say, Enna Refan Allah Bilahim. We talk Shalom Sarabat Simha. I want to uh, <clears throat> share with our members something that I saw today just to make our learning a little more exciting. I know that it's a little technical stuff. We're learning about the building of the Mishkan and all the vessels, the furniture and dimensions and, like I said, some technical stuff. But I saw a beautiful midrash today that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says whoever learns about the building of the Mishkan, God considers it as if you built it. So it's an unbelievable uh, opportunity that we have here. When we're learning these things, although we don't see the great value in it, it's not like uh, teaching us any, you know, ethical lessons necessarily. But the Midrash says that God considers this learning a very high level to the extent where it's as if we are building it through our learning. Now, we know building isn't easy. So obviously learning this topic is not going to be easy as well. But the value is great. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, the table. So, so far, what did we talk about? Last night we spoke about the ark, the aron, and the cherubs, and the kaporet that covered the ark. And now, tonight, we talk about the table. It's perechavheh pasuchav gima, 25 23. Okay, you should make a shulchan. We know the shulchan is a table. Aseshitim. Aseshitim is made out of cedar wood. Amataim orko. The length of it is two ama, which we learned last night. Each ama is about two feet, so let's say it's about four feet long. The ama rochbo, and one ama wide. And it's one and a half ama high. And now the Torah says you have to plate it in gold, pure gold. Thank you. And you have to make around the table a, uh, a crown like a rim on top. That's called the uh, zed. Zed is like a crown on top. Now, Rashi comes along and says that there's three uh, different vessels in the Mishkan that had this crown that went around the top. One was the Aron that we learned last night. Tonight we're learning about the Shulchan. Uh, we're going to also learn about 
the Mizbeach. The reason why these things have crowns, our rabbis tell us that there's three crowns in Judaism. One is called the crown of Torah. Maybe you ever hear of the saying, Keter Torah. So Keter Torah is the rabbis that have the crown of Torah. So that's why the Aron, which represents the Torah, has a crown on top of it. Now the table represents royalty. Because when you go into the royal palace, they have a big table with you know all different types of foods on it. That represents royalty. And that's the second crown, which is called Keter Malchut, the crown of royalty. And they have a, a crown on their heads, the, the, the kings. And therefore we put a crown on the table to represent Keter Malchut. The, the, the table represents wealth. As we're going to see, the Gemara will say that... Uh, the table was placed in the northern side of the uh, Mishkan, the northern wall. Until today, the Gemara says, if a person wants to become rich, when you pray the Amidah, so you face Jerusalem, let's say you face east, but you should tilt a little to the north. And therefore you are facing the Shulchan, which represents wealth and represents royalty. So therefore the Gemara says, if you're interested in wealth, tilt a little to the north so you'll uh, tap into those energies that the um, Shulchan has. Now the next pasuk says, lo tofah sabiv. Now on top of the table, you should make a misgeret. Misgeret is like a, we'll call it a rim. Um, if you want to see the um, the picture of it, I can show you a picture of it. I have it over here. If you look in this book here, you see this is the table over here. And then on top, you have a second, like a lip that comes above it that rests on pot. That's called the miskit. It's like a ring that goes above the table. And that's um, that's the misget, if it's cool. Again, it's like a, uh, we'll call it like a rim. And it says, So here you see on top of the rim, on this picture here, you see there's like a crown, a little crown that goes around the, uh, the table. Okay? So that's... Uh, That's the, there's different opinions where the Mesquite actually was. Some say the Mesquite in the first picture, some say the Mesquite was on the top. In the second picture, the Mesquite is on the bottom. Just the Mahlokia between the two opinions that she brings both opinions. That lip, did it go on top of the table, going up, or was it on the lower level of the table? And they put the board on top of that, and they put the Zed on top of that. Different opinions how the table was constructed. And then the Pasuk says, um, Now they had to make around the table four rings. Now remember, we learned earlier, last night, 
that this was a, a transient mishkan. They had to move it. It wasn't, you know, stationary in one place. So they had to build all these vessels with the ability to carry them. So the method that they used was they put rings, you know, on the four corners, and then they would put poles in the rings, and they would lift it. So the poles were really for transporting purposes. So if you look, again, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, yeah, maybe you can see it. In this picture, again, if you look at, very close, bring it close, if you look at the legs, you'll see that there's like rings uh, on the sides of the table. Uh, and those rings are called tabaot. They're made out of gold. And they put it on the four sides of the uh, table, on each leg. And the purpose of them was uh, in order to put the badim. Badim are going to be the poles. There were a house for the badim laset et shulchan. And the purpose is in order to carry the shulchan. That's it. Now, what were the poles made out of? Aseshitim, also a type of uh, wood, cedar wood. Vesipita otam zahav, also plated in gold. Venisabam etashulchan. And the table will be carried uh, through them. Fine. Now we have to discuss the tray that they made to put on the table. Now, what do you need a tray to put on the table for? Now, this table only had one item on it, bread. It's called the show bread. In Hebrew, they call it lechem apanim. Now, this bread is very unique. It doesn't look like any of the breads that we have today. It's not, uh, uh, you know, it's not a pita bread or it's not a flat bread. It's a very, very exquisite shape uh, that they made it in. It was a family that they were experts in making this bread. It was the, called the, the Garmu family. They were the experts in you know, making the bread, at least in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. And it was miraculous, this bread. It never spoiled, even though there was no preservatives. Uh, the ladies would know better. You know, if you keep bread out, even just for one day, uh, it spoils. Uh, this was a miraculous bread that it would last for a week straight, and at the end of the week when they would change the bread, because every week they would change the bread, it was still piping hot. So forget about just being fresh. It still was piping hot. Uh, I guess we could call it Wonder Bread. Uh, maybe that's where they got the uh, name Wonder Bread from. It was the first Wonder Bread of its kind. It was the bread that was on the table. Now, before we talk about the bread, we have to talk about this apparatus that they put the bread in. So the Pasuk says, Ve'asita ke'arotav, ke'arotav, kapotav, uksotav. Let's try to explain each one. So ke'arotav is actually the mold. The mold where they would put the bread in after they baked it. You wanted to keep the shape. I'm going to show you a picture of it in a second. So in order to keep the shape of this bread, they had to create a mold. That mold is called ke'arotav. Uh, it was in the same shape, obviously, as the, the bread, so it would uh, fit in. Uh, if you want to see, uh, I have a picture of it over here. Uh, it, 
I'll read Rashi first. Ve'alechem haya asui kimin teba perusa meshteru choteha. Actually, it's made like the um, the letter het, uh, like this. One, two, three. Imagine, <clears throat> I don't know if you know what the letter het is. Uh, how would I show you the letter het? Well, I hope the people in this homage class would know what the letter het is. Het is as the roof, a roof and two uh, two lines on the side, the letter het. So imagine an upside down het. So it's open on the top and it has two lines on the side and a base. Uh, I guess you could say it's like a, um, what letter in the alphabet? Like a U? Letter U? Yeah, very good. A letter, very good. A letter U, but a flat bottom instead of having a round bottom. <clears throat> Did you ever see a bread in that shape? It's a very, very, you know, awkward shape. So they had to make it in that shape. And it's very difficult because it has to have consistency. Otherwise, it'll just collapse. And it wasn't that thick either. So they made it in this shape. And then they had to stick it in the in the form so it stays on the table. So if you want to see that, it's that's this piece over here. You see this the bottom picture where my finger is? That would be the U-shape um, uh, form, and they would stick the bread in that. They would actually, uh, it would more would look actually like the top picture over here. That was the form that they baked the bread in. Uh, so again, um, so it's called lechem hapanim. Why is it called lechem hapanim? That's the name of the bread. We call it in the English showbread, but literally means uh, uh, face bread. Which means uh, because the two sides are looking at each other, so it would be like a face. So it's showbread because the faces are showing at each other or looking at each other. Normal bread doesn't have that. Normal bread is just a flat piece. This was like this, and then it goes to the bottom. So therefore, since the two sides are looking at each other, understand? So therefore, they call it a, a, a showbread. Very, very interesting. So now, it says, I'm reading that she over here, Noten or kol shulchan, so this is made out of um let me give you the right pictures over here um that's eight eight is right this is the uh the bottom one is gold. This is where they stored it in. This is the actual item that was on the table. This was made out of metal, uh, iron. <clears throat> this is what they baked it in. Obviously, yeah. it was thicker. So they, this was what they baked it in, this item. And then this is what they put it in on the table. Yeah. Uh, you see it there, gentlemen, ladies? See, this is what they baked it in. And then when they took it out of this, that it came from that doesn't break, they put it in uh, this item over here. This is all from the commentary of the sheet. 
Um, now, when would they set the table? They would set the table uh, on Shabbat. That was the day that they, uh, they, they, would, they, they would prepare the bread on Friday. So they, they, they baked it on Friday. You're not allowed to bake the bread on Shabbat, even in the Beit HaMikdash. So they baked it on Friday and they kept it in this uh, you know, mold. And then after they were ready to set the table, they would remove it from that mold and stick it in these other uh, golden uh, items. And they would uh, prepare it on Shabbat. The Oto Defus, again, it's called the Ka'ara. Now, besides that, now besides that, they also had spoons, kapotav. Uh, I know everybody knows what a spoon is, but you see, if you're on top of this picture here, you see there's two spoons. You see the two spoons over there? Now, what was the reason why they had two spoons that were placed on the table as well? The reason why they had the spoons was in order to put in it a very exquisite spice called levona. I think in English they call it frankincense. Uh, I don't know. Is that frankincense today? What is it? Okay, so that's a frankincense. I don't know what they do with it, but they had that in the uh, in the spoons. Uh, now, uh, they would fill the two spoons up with this uh, frankincense over here. And that remained on the table, the two spoons with the frankincense. We'll see what they did with it, uh, you know, but they left it on the table. Fine. Now, another item that they had on the table was called kesotav. So again, remember viewing. We had the ka'arot, that's the gold molds. And then you had kapotav, that's the spoons. And now we get to the next item, kesotav. Now, what is, um, what is kesotav? I'll show you the way that she learns, and I'll show you a picture. Kesotav, he says, him kimin kanim halulim. It's like you have two uh, poles that are hollow in between. Dugmatan atzashil zahab, made out of gold. So you want to see that, that'll be this picture over here. Uh, it's like, you see, they made like, um, what are you going to call it? Um, no, like shelves. It's more like a shell. And they would stick the breads in these shelves. So they would stick the form in it and then another form on top. And so six in each one of these shelves. You understand? Unbelievable process over here. And they had to keep it separate because they want some air to get in between. Otherwise, the bread will spoil. Now, even though I told you a second ago it was a miracle that the bread didn't spoil, but you should have to turn Norman, you gotta relax. Everything is tension here. Oh my god! You have over here the uh, air had to get through it because otherwise it would spoil. Now I told you a second ago it's not going to spoil, 
but you had to do it in the natural way. So you had to let the air uh, cooling racks. So that's the uh, a cooling racks. Very good, cooling racks. Exactly. Somebody said cooling racks. That's that. That would be a nice. Uh, so again, you see, see what we have over here. These are the racks, and in these racks, sorry, in these racks, you have these forms, and uh, it rested on the table, and then you have the spoons on top. Now, the last thing we have over here is menakiyotav. Uh, what is menakiyotav? So that she says, uh, hey, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll read it here now. Um, so that would be uh, these items here. So this is the racks, let's say. So the, the racks are inside. That's the right word, racks. And then you have these sideboards, just in order to, you know, to hold it. Basically, they're giving you the names of each one of the uh, this this the shelf that they made. So the 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 menakiyotav are these boards on the side. And then, very important because we're going to learn that again, you have to carry this item also. So, what do you think they're going to put on the sides of these boards? Rings. And what do you think they're going to put in the rings? Madim, uh, poles. And that's what you see over here in this picture. You see on the side of this uh, shulchan of the on this apparatus where the breads were, you have the poles with the rings on the side. So that's the uh, that's the story on this. Now the pasuk says. I'm just reading it over here. Yeah, that she just says that they were uh, um, just trying to look at the picture. One, two, three, four, four. Yeah. So you see in each one of these uh, uh, shelves, you had one, two, three, four, five, six, space in between. And then you have in the other one, the same thing. That's probably the best way to explain it. It's just a, a, a simple shelf that able to store six loaves of bread with some air running in between in order that they don't spoil. That would be the, the best way. Now, what do you place on the shulchan? That's this, this showbread that we called it. And um, the law is it must remain on the table. It was like on display, maybe? Yes, it was on display, exactly. It was on display the whole week, this bread. Now, uh, it had to remain on the table the whole week. And the Gemara will teach us that even when they put the new bread in, they would like take the new bread and they would push it. So it would push the old bread out and then the new bread would come in. So there was never a second that the a table did not have bread on it. That's what it means when it says tamid. It had to be a constant. No one ate it? Yes, then the Kohanim ate it, yes. What? On Shabbat. They would take the old breads off and the Kohanim 
who worked in the temple that week would eat the old breads. They were actually divided between the two groups of Kohanim. The group that was entering would eat part of it, and the group that was leaving would eat part of it. And every Shabbat, that was the, that was the bread. It's a very, very exquisite uh, item over here. Uh, I mean, what's the item that the people, sometimes they make hamotzi on 12 breads? It has to do with this? Yes. Yes. Uh, on Shabbat, the custom is to use 12 breads. That's the Ben Shai says, and it really it's based on the, the Shulchan of the Beit HaMikdash. Again, our breads are not in the same configuration, but that number, yes, has to do with the, uh, the showbreads in the Beit HaMikdash. Sorry, so, why 12? Why 12? It's a good question. I think they say one, one, one per tribe. One per tribe. So every tribe is represented. Even though the tribes don't eat the bread, you have to understand, all the beracha of B'nai Israel comes from the table. That's where the beracha panasa comes from. So each tribe is represented with one loaf. So the influence of blessing comes from that loaf to that tribe. So therefore, it had to be made with special kabana, and it remained on the table. And as long as you had that table, you know, functioning correctly, it would bring tremendous beracha to B'nai Israel. It's unfortunate we don't have these things today. That's that's one of the the uh, you, know, you feel baby don't have these things in the, today. So Rabbi, is that the reason why we leave the bread on the table during the entire Shabbat with salt? Uh, it's Did definitely you brought down. Like you said it's definitely brought down. Uh, again, they didn't have salt on this table. They had frankincense. Right, right. So it was a different item. But the salt is a, a different thing. The, the, the Zohar Kadosh says that the salt wards away the evil spirits. According to the Ben Yishai, you should always have salt on the table at all times. But for sure, on uh, whenever you're serving the bread on Friday night in Shabbat. Now let's get to the next item. Uh, we'll just start it because it's a very, very exquisite item. And that's the menorah. That's the menorah. The... Uh, the candelabra, as they call it. Now, ve'asita menorat zahav ta'or. It's made out of gold. Miksha ta'asea menorah. Now, here again, it had to be hammered. Now, it's much easier to make a menorah out of components. You take the six or the seven sticks, and you screw them in, and you take a base. But it wasn't allowed to do that. You had to take one piece of gold and bang it out, which was very difficult to do. And you bang it out, and you make it from within. So it's really one solid piece of, of gold. You're not allowed to make it in uh, components or pieces. Uh, this took a lot of uh, you know, handiwork, we should say. Now it says, it was so difficult to make this menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu was struggling to do it. So God told them, just take the gold and throw it into the fire. And when he took the gold and threw it into the fire, also the menorah came out by itself. That's why if you look at the menorah, it's a pasuk, it says, it doesn't say the word ta'ase. If it would have said ta'ase, it means make it yourself. But ta'ase means it will be made. 
because Moshe Rabbeinu said it's impossible to do this. God said, you just take the gold and throw it into the fire, and all of a sudden, out came a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful menorah. Now, the Pasuk says the menorah has different parts to it. Let's just try to explain the parts, and then we'll continue. Yerecha. <clears throat> the Yerecha would be like the legs. Uh, let's see if we can find you a picture of Yerecha. Yerecha will be... Uh, let's see over here. Gavia, Pera, Kaftor, Pera. You saw that? I'm just trying to show you Yerecha. <clears throat> well, the Yerecha is like the, uh, the sticks that come out of the menorah. Uh, Let me just see that now. picture. No, the Yerecha will be actually like the base. Yeah, you see, it would be this here. You see the base on the bottom of the menorah? Mm -hmm. That base. And there's three little legs that come out of it. You can't see it. But on the, on the bottom of it, there's like little legs coming out of it. So it's basically the pedestal of the menorah. That's called Yerecha. And then you have Kana. What's Kana? Kana is the, the sticks that come out of it. So the middle one, you see the middle one? That's the Kana that comes right out of the base. Trunks. Mm -hmm. You see, it comes straight up. Yeah. That's, that's called the Yerech. I'm sorry. This is called the Yerech, the base. And the base, one straight stick comes up. That's called the Kana. center, the centerpiece of the Mitzvah. Uh, that's called the uh, Kana. Kana. That's right. And then you have, uh, on top of it, you had, of course, in, in each one of these, you have these Bazichim. Bazichim are like cups. That's where you put the oil, which we can understand. And then you had, which was called Givieha. Give you air. That's the cups. She says they were like uh, glass cups, and they were uh, placed, you know, in the, uh, you know, in, in in each stick over there, in each cane, uh, I guess we'll call it, and that you put the uh, you put the oil in. Now, if you notice the way they did it, it's even decorative. Uh, if you can see it, but. You see, it has like a lip coming out on the side of each one of these cups. And the, the flame would be on the side, not in the middle. The flame would be on the side of the cups. Let's just read the next one. Now, you had some decorative stuff over here also. Just one second. Oh, so now, let me just see if we have a picture of the Gevi'im. Oh, oh, oh. So, again, I want to I wanna, I wanna correct myself. I don't want to make anything uh, that's incorrect. Uh, the Kane, we said, is that middle stick that comes up from the Yerech. That's 100% true. Uh, 
But now, here is this is Gibi'im. This is a decorative item. It's not a functional item. It's a decorative item. As you can see, there's like three little cups that are on the on the kane itself. This is all decorative. They wanted to make the menorah pretty. Hey, Sanjay, do we have that menorah? Do you think it has that uh, things on it? I don't think it has it, but th- th- this is the the kani, the, the gibi'im, and also kaftorim. Yeah, it's that shape. I haven't been around exactly like wow. this. Kaftorim, no, kaftor is the buttons. Kaftorim is the buttons. You see, over here there's a button, over here there's a button, over here there's a button. I'm calling it a button, but it's like a bolt. Decorative item. So you have three gibi'im, and then at each point you have a a kaftor. And then you also have piracheha. Pirachai is like you said, Morris. That's going to be the uh, flowers. So you see, if you look close over here on top, they made like decorative flowers. Like a filigree. Yeah, filigree. That's a $10 word. But yeah, that's a... So basically, besides the menorah having the normal things which a menorah would have, Sticks with a glass uh, to receptacle to put the oil in. Okay, we all know that, but it has to have certain decorative items, and those decorative items are called kaftorim, which are the buttons, and they're called givi'im. That's like the uh, the receptacles. Uh, they're like cups. I call them, and the pirahim is the flowers. So let's again. Uh, oh, you have that over there? Wow, look at this. I, I have an actual menorah that somebody bought me. Look at this thing. This is show and tell like you never saw. Look at this here now. What this is, is the, yeah, there's a big difference. This, this is the menorah. This is not the menorah of the Beta Mikdash, obviously. I don't have that yet. But so this over here, let's see. Let's see. So here is the, it, this is over here, the base. So what do we say the base is called? The base is called Yerecha. This is the Yerech. That's over here. And it has, well, mine has one, two, three, yeah. So you see on the bottom, it has three legs. That's exactly how the Beta Mikdash, one, two, three. And then you had over here, in this section over here, you have you can see it, like a decorative item here. This is ornaments. By, yeah, it's an ornamental item. All by, all by design, by the way. And then you have these ornaments here. One, then two, then three, then four going down the center. And then you see here, if you could look, the cups. Let's see. One second. Like this, but you have to be uh, if you, you could see it maybe over here. You see, look at this over here. See, there's three cups over here one, two, three going down again, ornamental. Each one, each stick has a three cups. You can see closely, these are cups, upside down. the upside down cups, exactly. 
So you what that? is this cup? No, it's just it's just the decoratives, all, all decorative stuff. The Torah goes out of its way to tell us that all these things have to be decorative. And here's the flowers. You see, each each cup is in a flower. You see, this is hmm. a flower. It's like, it's like a petal. Each one has petals. So I just want to get, so you understand now that you see a little of what we're talking about. Now I'll tell you what each one is called again, and we'll call it a night because uh, I'm tired from carrying this already. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, now all this had to be done from one piece. Now my Midorah is not done from one piece. Obviously they made it, looks like one piece, but the one in the Beit HaMikdash obviously was a miraculous. So this is called the base. We're going to call it the Yerecha. This centerpiece over here, going straight down, that's attached to the to the Yerecha, is called Kana. This is the Kana, the center beam that comes down. And then you have Givieha. Givieha. Right, that's the cups. The cups. That's the, de the decorative cups that were, you know, throughout the Menorah, and including over here. And you have which we'll call the knobs. That's what they call them, the knobs. So these are like knobs. Uh, this is a knob here. This item here. This item here. This item here. This item here. Uh -huh. And we're going to learn. There's a certain amount you have to put in the menorah. There's a reason. And then the piraheha, which is the flowers. Was, which is the, the flowers, like you said. Filigrees. Filigrees. What did you call them? Filigree. What is that word, Sandra? What is that? The it's a jewelry word. It's a what? The filigree a floral. Word. Floral. Okay. Floral. Filigree. Filigree. Okay. What is it? Okay. I learned something tonight. I never heard that word, but I learned something tonight. You learn every day something. <laughs> filigree. Fine. That's it. That's that's them. I don't have a shulhan to show you. I could show you my dining room table, but it's really not going to be uh, anything compared to the... Uh, it's the tamim on top of the kaftur. What does that mean? The kaftur. What is that? Tamim. On top of the word, the kaftur, there's a tamim on top of it. Is there any reason? The kaftureha, I see. What, what, just show me which. Uh, lamed hey. Oh, we didn't get to lamed hey yet. Oh, that's why. Oh, sorry. We didn't get to that. That's why we'll get to it tomorrow night. All right. So at least we, 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 we spent some time. Listen, we're doing good. We should be very proud. I don't think anybody spends so much time on, on, on the technicality of these things, but I know in heaven it means a lot that we take our time to try to understand at least a basic understanding of what these structures were. And like I told you in the beginning of the class, it's like we did it. It's like we built it. So it should be for the Fuash not only for Sarin, Sarah Haya, Sarah Bat but her and included all the all the Hole Yisrael. The learning should be for their Zechut. Uh, which create a lot of the hamim for all of the members that are uh, coming to this food. It'll bring us a lot of good learning. I have no doubt And we're up to the menorah. I talked about the menorah last night in depth. So let's just review. The menorah was made out of one solid piece of gold. We said that Moshe Rabbeinu really had a hard time creating the menorah because it has to be hammered. It's not made from components. So God helped Moshe. And it says that Moshe threw the gold block into the fire and the menorah 
miraculously uh, emerged. We also learned that there was uh, six sticks, which we'll talk about tonight, that come from the menorah, and then there's the one center. So don't make a mistake. The menorah and the Beit HaMikdash only has seven, uh, seven sticks. The menorah that we use on Hanukkah has eight. So it's really nothing to do with the menorah of the Beit HaMikdash. So the menorah uh, on Hanukkah is, is, is celebrating a miracle that happened for eight days. So therefore they made an eight, uh, uh, you know, a uh, convenient uh, apparatus of a uh, candelabra that holds eight candles in order to, you know, commemorate an eight-day holiday, but nothing to do with the menorah that we're talking about. This is a menorah that had seven sticks, and uh, it was lit every day in the Beit HaMikdash, but not only lit on Hanukkah. So I know when you hear the word menorah, right away you think of Hanukkah, this is something, something different. And we also learned yesterday that there was some ornamental items that were on the menorah. One thing was called the kaftor. Last night I kept on using the word button, but I think they used the word knob. So it looks like a knob, like a round uh, piece. Again, it's a decorative. And then we talked about the uh, the giv'im. Giv'im are like cups. Again, decorative cups. We'll see how many of those were placed on the menorah. And we also talked about the uh, the perahim, the perahim with the flowers. And then we heard, we learned that in the word last night. Uh, filigree. filigree, filigree, filigree. And then um, so that was also on the menorah as well. Uh, so now we're going to get into some of the details of it. I brought my menorah with me tonight again to the shiur in order to benefit our members with some show and tell. So the Pasuk says, we're going to pick it up at chapter 25, uh, Pasuk 32. So here's the menorah again. You see it here. What do you got there? Cup of tea, beautiful. So here's the menorah. Nobody can see it. This is the centerpiece over here. So you have three sticks. Now don't look at this menorah because this is a menorah for Hanukkah, so it has eight. But forget about the last uh, last two over here. Let's look it up. So you have one, two, three. Here's the center one. You have one, two, three on the right side, and then one, two, three on the left side, and they come out diagonal. So right next to the center, you have a diagonal like this, and then next to it, a diagonal again, and then another diagonal across. So you have three to the right of the center and three to the left of the center. And as she just points out, I mean, this is obvious, but the one that's closer to the center is narrower. And then as you get further away, they're longer, because again, they have to be the equal, uh, equal height. So in order to keep it equal height, it's got to be a longer stick to reach to the top. The further you're away from the center, the longer the sticks have to be in order to be the same uh, the same height. So here you see it's narrower over here. And here it gets a little wider. And then over here it gets even wider. And that's the way the middle now was shaped. So you have one, two, three, middle, then one, two, three. Now, 
there's a lot of. Can you see me behind the menorah? Pick a boy, everybody. There you go. So now you have. Uh, when you say wider, maybe you mean longer. They're longer, longer. not. Yeah, a longer stick, a longer stick. Right, not wider. Well, it's actually, it's, it's a little wider. The, the one that's further away is, is, is wider than. Okay, longer. I'm going to say longer. Fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, so now, so now we have to discuss how many knobs, how many flowers, and how many cups. So the pasuk is going to read like this. Uh, so there's three cups per stick. <clears throat> so there's, besides the middle one, the middle one is its own uh, item. Let's talk about the six. So each one's going to have three cups decorating it. So that'll bring you automatically to 18. Now let's let's look at what we're talking about again. So you see it. You see, you see three cups over here? These are the cups. One, two, three. One, one, two, three. Over here. One, two, three. These are, if you can see them close, appreciate it what it looks like, these cups. You see them in the picture. What? Yeah, let me see if I can do that. Can I make my picture bigger so I can see what I'm showing everybody? Let's see if I can do that. What should I do? Oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. wait back to I want to make myself bigger. In order, oh, there you go. Watch this here, Sandra. You need a. We need a tech guy here. Okay, I'll we'll figure we it out. See it. Oh, you see it? Okay, I just I I'm guessed that I can't see it myself. What I'm showing you. No, but, you can't see, but we see it good. Okay, beautiful. So now, so these are the cups. So it's three times six. That's eighteen, and then. There's going to be three in the center. So this is the three in the center right here. So that's another three. So we're at 21. But we're not done yet. Rashi comes along and says that it's altogether 22. So where's going to be the 22nd one? The 22nd one is going to be on the menorah itself. On the menorah itself... Over here, I can't see it, I'll lower it down. Over here on the bottom, there's a cup right over here. So this is one, and then you have six or three times seven. So 21 plus this one over here is 22. So altogether 21 or 22 cups. That's the way we figured that one out. So again, seven times three, is 21 plus this one over 22. Beautiful. Now let's get to the next item. The next item you have to figure out is how many uh, how many kafturim were there? How many knobs were there? So that she tells us there was 11 knobs. 
Let's do the 11. Each one of the... Each one of the sticks has a knob. There's a knob, one, two, three, four, five, six. And then you have another five in the actual menorah itself. One, two, three, four, five, what? It's really made, yeah, they made this menorah perfect to scale. So you have five in the actual menorah, one here, one, and two, and three, and four. So altogether there's 11 knobs. Okay, now keep, 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 uh, keep track. There's a significant number according to the Zohar over here. So you have 22 plus 11. That's 33. Now let's continue. Then you have the flowers. How many flowers were there? So it says there was nine. How do you have nine flowers? So again, the flowers, if you'll notice them, they're actually on the cups themselves. The cups are like sitting in a flower. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six. So you have the six, and then you have the centerpiece. There's one, that's seven. And then you have on the menorah itself over here, over here on the bottom of the menorah, there's another flower, that's eight. And then on all the way on the bottom, by the base, there's another one. So that's nine. So what do we have? 33 plus 9? How much is that? 42. Okay, 42. Now let's do this. Plus the 7 sticks themselves. That's 49. And we're going to count the menorah then as a, its own entity, which is 50. So basically the menorah is made up of 50 different parts between the decorations, the sticks, and the actual base of the menorah. What's the significance of it? So now I'll tell you what the Zohar Kadosh says. Remember last night we learned about the table. The table represents wealth. That's what you put bread on the table. When you pray, we said you face north because the, the, the Shulchan was in the northern part of the Mekdash, and that's where the energies of wealth come from. But what does the menorah represent? If the Shulchan represents wealth, the menorah, which is light, represents wisdom. Light always represents wisdom. If you remember in the old uh, cartoons one used to watch when you were a kid, uh, some people even still watching them now, that uh, when somebody had a good idea, you see the light bulb, uh, you know, light in their head. Or even in, uh, in American language, when you want to say somebody is smart, they say he's bright. Or uh, they say that's very uh, enlightening, bright idea. So anytime we talk about something that's intellectually smart, you'll always compare it to something that is illuminating and has a, a certain uh, brightness to it. So the menorah is where the wisdom of Torah comes. And the Zohar Kadosh says that there's 50 gates of wisdom. It's called the 50 gates of Bina, of, of knowledge, Shari Bina. There's 50 gates of it. And Nobody ever reached the 50th gate except Moshe Rabbeinu right before he passed away. You know, his whole life he was at 49, and right before he passed, he elevated to level 50. 
The only other one that's going to reach level 50 is going to be Mashiach, Bezat Hashem. So the menorah that's made up of 50 parts, each one of these parts is connected to one of the gates of wisdom in an esoteric way. I cannot explain to you how a flower, which is decorative, is connected to one of the gates of wisdom, but the, the, the number is very significant. Now I want to tell you something else about this menorah before we go further, because there's, there's a few more components that we have to discuss, but just to get you some understanding of the menorah. The menorah has a center beam, as we see it again, the center beam. And then you have three on one side and three on the other side. Does that remind you of anything? That pattern or that structure, that configuration, does that configuration remind you of a certain pattern that we're used to? It doesn't. Okay. Yeah, the three on one side, the three on the other side, and then the center. Okay. Well, the Zora Kadosh says that this is the way we're supposed to look at the days of the week. Shabbat, I know in America, they call it the weekend, but it's really not. In Kabbalah, Shabbat is actually the week center. It's the center of the week. And then you have three days that are considered the days before Shabbat, which would be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbat in the center, and then the days after Shabbat, which is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Shabbat is looked as, as the centerpiece of the week, more like the fountain, where all the berachot of the week come from the center, which is uh, providing sustenance and berachah to all the other days. It provides sustenance to the days to the right. Those are the days before Shabbat and the days after. That's why, uh, for example, there's laws uh, that uh, if somebody didn't make Havdalah, for example, on Saturday night, they can make Havdalah until Tuesday under certain circumstances. Of course, the Kiddushah, the, this, the, the previous Shabbat has its Kiddushah lasting until Tuesday. And then once Wednesday comes, Wednesday starts to draw its Kiddushah from the upcoming Shabbat. So now, for example, we're, what is it today? Thursday. So already we're, we're receiving our energies from the upcoming Shabbat. It's like the sun starting to rise. So therefore, the energies of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going forward. And then after Shabbat is over, it still has an emanation to the days after it. And that's the way the menorah is constructed to, 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 to correspond the days of the week. Uh, so to that, it says in the Pasuk, Va'asitat uh, niroteha. Yeah, and you have to make the cups, shiva, seven cups in order to put the oil and the wicks. Now, what that means is, is that the way the menorah was to be lit is, is that all the lights would ultimately be facing the center. Understand? So ultimately it's going to be like this. All these lights are going to be facing this way, and these lights are going to be facing this way, towards the middle, which again is to symbolize that the middle light is the main light, and all the others are subservient to it. So that, that's the way they lit the menorah in that 
in that form, huh? The flames, the flames, the flames would, would, would be lit towards the towards the center. And actually, uh, yeah, okay, this is a, like a triangle, which ultimately probably ends up looking like a Magen David, some form. Okay, so now what happens, the Pasuk says, Umalkaheha, uh, not Malka, Malkaheha. Now, what is Malkaheha? Umahtoteha. There's two more, uh, we'll call them uh, accessories that the Menorah has. One is the Malkaheha, which comes from the word Lakaha to take, which is the tweezers. Now, what do you need the tweezers for? Can anybody guess what you need the tweezers for a Menorah? You're not plucking eyebrows out. So, what would you need the tweezers for? For the wicks. Very good. That's exactly the reason that she says that every morning they have to clean the menorah. So you have to take the tweezers and take out the old wicks and then put in the new wick. And you also had uh, a uh, apparatus or a utensil called a mahta. What is a mahta? Mahta, as she says, is like, what is that? No, not a snuffer. Uh, a snuffer. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, a, um, like, a, like, a, like a scooper, more like a shovel, in order to clean out the ashes from the night before. So those two items were, were necessary to have. And the Torah says they had to be made out of gold as well. So everything in this menorah is gold, even the accessories. Kikar zahab tahor ota et kol and it says, all together, between the menorah and between the accessories, it weighed a kikad, which is a, uh, a brick of gold. And that she gives you the, the weight of that. And then it says in the last pasuk regarding the menorah, ur'eh. God says, look, va'aseh, and make the menorah betavnitam, in this image, asher atam mur'eh bahar that you are seeing on the mountain. Now, what does it mean, look and make? What do you mean look? Just make the menorah. What is he looking at? So that she says that Moshe Rabbeinu, as we learned last night, struggled to make the menorah until God showed him an image of what the menorah is supposed to look like. Actually, it was a menorah of fire. A fiery menorah so to give Moshe an idea of what the menorah is supposed to look like. Now, you're going to ask me, but last night we learned he didn't end up making it. So I saw the Mefarshim explain that. Initially, God showed him the image, but still it was difficult for Moshe to make. So then he just took the gold bullion and he threw it into the fire. And as we learned last night, the menorah just appeared. So that's the, uh, that's the construction of the menorah. Now you have a, a better understanding for sure of what it was. Now tomorrow night we're going. We're, so we're finished with the with the main pieces of furniture. We learned about the aron, the ark. We learned about the table, the shulchan, and now we finished tonight learning about the menorah. Fantastic. Now we have to actually learn about the house that these items, you know, were placed into. That's the tabernacle itself. That's called the mishkan. 
that's the structure where these items were actually placed in. And that'll be tomorrow night's class to start learning about how the uh, Mishkan was, was made. So stay tuned. It's, uh, you know, very exquisite stuff. And again, we learned this for the Fuash Haya Sarah, Bat Simha, that you should have the Fuash with all the others. It's the last night of the uh, week for Perashah, for our Zoom chat. We had a good week, thank God. We're learning Perashat Rumaz for the Fuash Haya Sarah, Bat Simha. And <clears throat> we're in the learning of the construction of the Mishkan, but we learned earlier this week that the learning is actually like we're building it and we get credit for that. So until this point, quick review, we learned about the Aron, we learned about the Shulchan, the table, we learned about the Menorah. I guess we could put the Menorah back in storage. We don't need it for show and tell tonight. Now, we're going to learn about the actual Mishkan itself, which is the house, the structure that they put all these pieces, all these furnishings in. So it's chapter 26. Ve'eta Mishkan. Now, Mishkan literally means a roof because that's the main part of a house. Without a roof, you don't have a house. So therefore, the Mishkan is basically a covering. What's going to happen is we're going to learn about a structure that's made of poles, 20 poles in the north, 20 poles in the south, poles that are attached to each other, beams we'll call them, eight poles in the back in the west. The east is open. That's where they walk in. So these poles are very high. They're like 20 feet high, these poles. So it's a big structure. But now you have to cover the poles from on top to put a roof. So when you walk in, you have a <clears throat> you have a uh, shield over your head. So the Pasu comes along and says that they made the roof of the Mishkan that covered the beams. The beams were called Kedashim. You know what? Why should you have to guess what this looks like? Let's look at a picture. Yeah, you see over in the homash. Here you have the uh, the beams, but you don't have a roof on top. It's open on top. So therefore, they're gonna have to put like this, which is a sheet. It's more the sheet is not the right word. It's like a a fabric or leather, and they're gonna place it on top. And we're gonna learn the dimensions tonight of this covering. This covering is called mishkan. It's the covering on top of the on top of the beams. So let's see what it's made out of. There's actually be some design on it also. Uh, so the Pasuk says, So it's made from 10 uh, panels. Now, each one of these words represents another type of materials. Shesh Moshzar, that's one item. And then you have Techelet, and then you have Argaman, and you have Tola'at Shani. Now, to make it simple for us, these are fabrics. Three of them are wool. Techelet is a blue string made out of wool. Argaman is like purple, purple wool. And Tola'at Shani is like a reddish uh, crimson. That's wool. 
and then you have pishtim. Uh, pishtim is the uh, flax, which would be like linen, and that's called shesh mosab. So three of these fabrics are made out of wool, and one of them is made out of linen. And you take these four fabrics, these four, actually four uh, strings, like they were a spool of, of wool. So you take three plus one, and what do you do with it? So the Torah says that they actually, they actually took six of each one. Go. So they took six of each one, and then they had to spin it. So that she's language is four different types, and then each one was times six, uh, and then they spun them together. So basically, you have a, a weave of 24, four times six. And the Torah says, Kiruvim ma'ase choshev ta'ase otam. Now you have to put images on these panels that you're making. They were like picturesque. And what was the pictures on them? As they weave them, they weave these garments. It was a, it was a weave, basically. Like you weave a, like a, weave a sweater or you weave a, you know, some type of a, a blanket. So they were weaving this paneled a roof for the Mishkan. And there was a pattern. Just like the ladies today, they put a pattern on the, on the weave. They follow the... Uh, they follow the dots, whatever they do. Point is over here. What was the what was the the picture? So that she says there was a lion on one side and an eagle on the other side. If you want to see it, you see in the picture here in my book. I don't know if you can see it, but you see the pictures: eagle, lion, eagle, lion. That's the the pictures that they had to weave on the on the item. Okay. Now let's discuss dimensions. Now, Now, it's there's 10 panels. So now we're going to measure each panel on its own. Or actually, we're discussing the uh, the entire Yidi'ah, is 28 Amma. 28 Amma and the width is four hot So therefore basically it's again 28 long. 28 long, 28 ama. Let's say an ama is uh, I don't know, we said an ama is like two feet. So 28. It's big. It's big. Like, what is it? 56. Uh, 56 ama. Okay, it's 56 feet. It's a long, again, it has to cover the whole from end to end of the um, of the Mishkan. So the Pasuk says, So it's 28 by 4. Now, Altogether, we said there was 10 of these panels. But the way they did it is they connected five, five in one group, and then they connected five in another group. 
So you have panels of five and panels of five, and then they link them together. That was the the way they did it. So let's see. So again, here, let, let, let's show you the pictures. Let's make it simple over here, by the way. So here's a panel. This is one. So it's 28 long, 28 in length, and it's four wide. Each panel was that. And 28 long, because it has to go uh, across the whole uh, the whole uh, the whole mishkan, so they put across and it's four four wide. How many panels? Ten of them. So altogether, it'll go forty because it's four wide. So ten times four, it'll go forty across. <clears throat> the width will be uh, forty. So there's ten panels. You see. If, if, if you look at this picture over here, I'm going to make it nicer for you now. So you can get me out of the way. You don't need to see me. But you see over there's 10 panels. It's one, two, three, four, five. That's one group. And then you have one, two, three, four, five in another group. Each panel is four wide and 28 long. So this is four, eight, 12, 16, 20, 24. 28, 32, 36, 40. So ultimately, it's going to be 28 by 40. That's going to be the measurements. And the question now is, and you see the sequence over here, lion, eagle, lion, eagle, lion, eagle, lion, eagle, lion, eagle. Okay, it's like the Super Bowl. So you have over here, and have there. so now you have over here, five panels that are attached and five panels are attached. Now we're going to have to link them. So how are we going to link these <clears throat> five against the five? So we're going to need a system of, um, of hooks. You see, we're going to put metal hooks over here, like clasps. And then we'll just click them together. And that's going to be the next person. Hamesh Pukit Pasugima. Hamesh so five are attached to each other. Now, what does lulaot mean? Lulaot is like, like loops, ties. Now, the ties over here that we're going to link them were not made out of metal. They were made out of techelet. They're made out of wool. And what? And you have to put 50 of them. So there's 50 loops going across the ends. So you can, you can connect them together. Let's see if we can see a picture of, of that, of the lulaot. Uh, you have a good picture. Now, so then you tie it. Oh, you have to make also 50 karsezahav. Karsezahav are going to be the, the hooks because you need to lock the, uh, the loops. The loops into the hooks. Exactly. Very simple over there. 
Now let's read the sheet for a second. So it's 50 of those, okay. Now let's let's let let us let, let, do some uh, let's do some math over here. We said that the yid- and, um, yeah. I'm sorry. The line when you said the first one was the lion. So from top to bottom on the row, every one would be a lion, and then the next. It's sequence actually. It's lion. Uh, right. But if you go up to top to yes, bottom. Yes. If you go top to bottom, it's all the same. Okay. Exactly. Very good. It's all the same on each in, on each on each uh, panel. And the why did they start with the lion first? Well, he's the king of the jungle. Okay, gotcha. Very I good. I just made that up. I just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, yeah. Well, I can make it sound good. So now, now the, the real question is your real question should be why a lion at all? Obviously, these must symbolize something lion and an eagle. Like I said, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a football Yehuda, game. King, the king. Is that, is, is that like that chair of Shalomoha Melech? He had uh, on each side um, a lion and a... And a, and a um, yeah, but those, uh, yeah, but the, the, yeah, those were actually figurines of the lions. But, uh, 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 too. <clears throat> but I, again, I can't answer you yet uh, why, why it was such. But now... We need to discuss some of the some of the dimensions over here. So I'm reading that she now. Haidiah, as we said, was chafet amot was 28 long. Is the yidiah? But do we learn anything from the fabric? You said wool and linen. Do we learn anything oh. from this, or is nothing to do with that? It's a very good question. So Stop. we're not wearing it. So as long as you're not wearing it, it's not a problem. So technically, oh. if uh, if your roof is made out of shatnez, you don't have to leave your house as long as you're not wearing the roof. You're okay. So that's uh, that's that over there. But there's an interesting. You're pointing out the halakha does say you are not allowed, let's say, to have a couch that's shatnez, even though you don't oh, wear your couch, but you no. sit on it. You sit on it. You benefit from it. Or well, let's say a, a rug. Sometimes these people buy these fancy rugs that have sharpness, soft rugs, that's the problem. Or even drapes, that's the problem. Because sometimes when, sometimes when it's cold, you wrap yourself around the drapes. But nobody can wrap themselves around the roof. No, I just meant the fabrication. Maybe it was the house, something we learned from no, there. No, no. no you're fine. You're raising a good point. But I'm just saying... Um, that okay. the issue of uh, Shatnez there. Now Thank let's you. go back to the uh, let's go back to the uh, configuration for a second. I just want to teach you one more point there. So the Yidiot, the length of these Yidiot was twenty eight. Now I want to explain to you why you need it to be twenty eight. So that she says, and it's and it's four four wide. When you tied five yidiot, the five panels together, so you have a width of 20, right? five times four. And the second group of five will also be 28 by, uh, by 20. Now, how long was the mishkan from end to end? So the mishkan from end to end was 30 amot. Now, from east to west. And we're going to learn that in Pesukim. 
So it's 30 amma. Now, the problem is, okay, let's just go over here. Now, the notena yot urkande rohban shel mishkan. Eser amotem sa'yot negag halal rohab a mishkan. Ve amam mikan, ve amam mikan no obira shekerashim, shoviam amma. So therefore, let's, let, let's learn good. All right, let me show you what's going on here now. The width over here of the roof from end to end is 10 amot. Now the kerashim themselves take up an amma on each side. So that's another two amot. So basically on top from end to end, you have 12 amma of yiri'ah that's being used. Now we said the yiri'ah in length was 28. So if you're only using 12, so you still have 16 amma to play with. What was the 16 amma? It draped. You see how it's draping? It drapes down. So eight amma would drape on this side and eight amma would drape on the other side. So that's 16 plus the 12 that's going across. And there you get your, your, 20, your 28. You see how it works? Perfect. So again, if you take a, a sheet of 28 and you place it on top and let it drape down, it'll fit perfectly. It'll reach the floor <clears throat> on both sides, so it'll cover it. Well, not actually, I, I take that back. I take that back. By the way. It's actually not going to reach the floor. If you notice, it reaches almost the floor. There's a, the, the sides went down to 10. So this is only draping eight. So you basically have like two ama off the ground. We'll have to figure out how we're going to cover that. Don't worry, it's going to get covered eventually. One but on each side. What do you mean one on each side? Too much. You have one on one ama on one side, one ama on the other side. Yeah, but we have to cover it. That's the point. The point is we have to cover uh, this, but my point is... That was exposed, no? Yeah, no, but there's going to be another covering. Right, That's the point. There's gonna, exactly. So there's going to be three coverings on the Mishkan. This is just the first covering that we're learning about tonight. It's called the Mishkan. But there's another covering that we're going to talk about, and there's another covering on that. And they're going to drape over it, and therefore it's going to eventually drape down uh, all the way to the bottom, as we're going to see. So that's what the sheet comes and tells us, uh, that the bottom two amot on each side were revealed. So again, I'm just reviewing it again for our members that are uh, mathematically impaired, which is me. So I just want to get it clear again. You have a yidi'ah. Each individual yidi'ah, which is a panel, is four amot wide by 28 long. Its width is four and 28 long. And you have five of them attached as one unit. Five of them attached as one unit, linked together with these 50 uh, uh, hooks. And then you throw it over the mishkan, you know, over the over the structure, and the structure went from end to end thirty, and uh, so therefore, uh, the way it worked is when you put the mishkan on, it was actually ten ama or twelve ama on top, ten space, airspace, and then two ama of 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 kirashim of poles. So therefore, it took the space of twelve ama on top. You have 16 left. That was the drapage on the sides, eight on eight. And then you got your 28 length all 
accounted for. Okay, that's the that's the story with that. Now it says, Mishkan <clears throat> Okay, and the Mishkan was one. Beautiful. Now let's go to the next story. izim. Oh, now you're gonna take Yidiot izim, which is from the feathers of goats. Uh, goat feathers. It's good stuff. And you're going to take them and you're going to make what's called an ohil. Again, don't mix this up with the first covering. The first covering is called mishkan. The second covering that we're going to learn tonight is called ohil. Ohil, which means a covering. Now let's see the dimensions of this. Oh, this is actually a little bigger Instead of taking 10 panels, you're taking 11 panels. Ashte Asre. Ashte Asre is 11. And the length is going to be 30. Oh, you understand what's going to happen now? The length is going to be 30. The first Mishkan was 28. This is two. That's the two we're missing. So therefore, when you're going to throw this on top, it has two more ama uh, length. So what's going to happen? It's going to drape all the way down. And I have a picture. It'll reach the floor. More or less. Coverage. Exactly, coverage. So let, let, let's, let's see if that's true. Anyway, it says you'll make a, a second covering. It's 11 panels. Now, how are you going to divide these 11 panels? Here, you're going to make one grouping of five and another grouping of six. So it's going to be five and six. The other one was five and five. This is five and six. Now, Okay, that's very important now. You have an extra panel here. So therefore, you don't need uh, so much panels to cover the, uh, the, the Mishkan. So what, which means the other one you had 10. So you had 10 and you had um, uh, more than enough to cover from, like we said, end to end. Yeah, it was 30 ama and 12 ama and then 8 ama. Yeah, it was perfect. But over here, you have an extra panel. So wh where is that, where's that extra panel going to drape? This is perfect. It goes on two sides and it goes across. But here you got an extra one, so it's going to drape somewhere. Where is it going to drape? So the Torah says the drapage is going to be I'm reading the Pasuk. I just want to see. Oh, here it is. You see here? Here's the drapage. You see it comes down a little? That little extra piece is going to come down on the eastern side of the Mishkan. So it's a little extra. So, by the way, when you look at the Mishkan, you're not seeing the lions and the eagles because it's covered by this second covering, which is called Ohim. 
Now, let's see, let's see how it drops. Now, now you have to you have to connect the five and the six. Now, now by the way, I don't know if you noticed, the Mikubalim over here will go to town about the numbers over here. The first was five and five. So five and five is ten. So that's the letter Yud, which is ten. The next one was five and six, which is He Vav, Yud Ke Vav. So already we're going to start spelling out Hashem's name in these configurations of the Yidiot. There's a lot of Kabbalistic meanings why we're actually using these numbers. Anyway, the 50 Ludaot, which is the 50 uh, uh, hooks or the 50 uh, loops, and you're going to take 50 um, hooks, same thing, made out of gold. Actually, sorry, they're made out of copper, as she says in this case, and you're going to put them in the loops and you're going to attach it. Okay, beautiful. And what is it going to do? It's going to benefit the extra two ama is going to cover the two ama that was revealed after putting the first covering on. Remember, we learned we learned over here. To show you again. I'm being redundant, but just to make it clear, you see the bottom over here was open, was revealed. So now that was only because you had eight amma on each side. But now we're going to have over here an extra amma on each side. So you'll have, you'll have, let's see, you'll have 11 panels. 11 panels is going to be 11 times four, which should be, 44, exactly. So you're going to have, it's 32 ama from end to end over here because we're going to have an extra two ama that are drooping on the side. Two ama drooping on the side. So that's your 30 plus, plus two. And then you have, let's see, we have uh, then we're going to have nine amma drooping on each side, which is actually going to cover it a little lower. So therefore, this is a drop bigger. What you're benefiting is it's going to cover a little more of the sides, and it's going to cover as well, droop over the eastern side. So that's going to be the second, the second covering. Oh, and all this is to make a house for Hashem. All right. Good stuff, Rabotai. We'll stop here. We have a, 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 at least a superficial understanding of what's being what's taking place. Rabbi, it seems like uh, they're making they make the ornaments for the Mishkan first, and then they build the house. It seems like the opposite of the way you would build a house. Oh, you would build the walls. Yes, yes, wow. asking a great question. So the the Gemara says that actually when Betzalel did it, he actually built the Mishkan first. This is just giving you how to do it, but they didn't actually start with this. They actually started with the Mishkan part, the part we're talking about now, and then right. they built the furniture. So you're right. Uh, or a Chaim. Or a Chaim. Amazing. Right. There you go. This is we explained it very, very clear. The argument between Moshe and Bitzalin. Yeah. You can listen to that on, uh, I don't know where you listen to it, but it's, uh, it was a good piece. Wherever, wherever. Oh, it's on Aitora. Okay. Anyway. Good week. I give credit to our members. You, you, you stuck it out. Um, 
great learning. It's Lashem Shamayim for sure. We had a lot of reward for it, and it's going to give Sarim, Hayah Sarabat, a good defuah, and it's going to give all the Holim a good defuah. And more importantly, it's going to give us good health and good success. I'm guaranteeing a good week for all of our members. We learned good. The blessings upon all of you. Amen.